0: DEI, I think, is the most successful when it's able to communicate in the language of the business. And that's tough because arguing, you know, like it's the right thing to do, shouldn't have to necessarily match and fit it in, right? But if we can fit it in a bit and present information in a way that business leaders are used to seeing it, then you can connect attrition and retention of underrepresented women to
1: the bottom line. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the All Inclusive Podcast. We're in a brand new studio, and I'm so excited for today's episode. I'm joined by Jeff Fernandez, CEO and co-founder of Dandy. We discuss the power of analytics in unlocking the potential of DEI strategies, going beyond superficial diversity metrics, and providing game-changing insights to create a more inclusive workplace where everyone feels valued and empowered. Jeff also shares a highlight in his journey, Building Dandy, and provides advice for leaders who are driving DEI with data-backed approaches. As always, before jumping into the video, make sure to hit that subscribe button, turn on your notification bell, and follow on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. That being said, let's jump in. Hi Jeff.
0: Hi Natasha.
1: I'm so excited for this conversation. I've been looking forward to it for weeks now. So I hope you're prepared and ready to chat.
0: Likewise. I have look forward to, to it as well. Thanks for having me.
1: Oh great. So let's get started. Tell our listeners a little bit more about you and your journey to where you are today as co-founder <laughs> of Dandy.
0: Great. Uh, Well, first and foremost, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. My background, uh, I'm sitting here um, in New Jersey, about 20 miles northwest of the George Washington Bridge. A little bit of my story. Uh, I grew up in a town about 20 minutes east of here, a small, small town called Dumont, and I had the good fortune of going to Harvard. Um, I graduated there from 2005, which uh, certainly wasn't the expectation, um, and and I feel really fortunate that I had the opportunity to do that. Uh, um, My professional career since then has been about 17, 18 years now of starting building and selling technology companies, almost exclusively working in B2B HR technology, uh, um, first of which was an invitation-only recruiting website called Doostang, second of which we started a company called Grovo. Uh, which was a pioneer in online micro learning. We created short one or two minute videos. We created thousands of them covering digital skills um, and we produced training and enterprise learning. And so eventually Cornerstone On Demand in 2018 uh, bought Grova and the inspiration for Dandy happened while we were running uh, and operating at our last company at Grova. We were a couple hundred employees in 2014, 2015. We'd export all the data from our HR systems, right? And we put it into a big spreadsheet, we pivot table it. And then we'd eyeball for parity or lack thereof, and we look at promotion rates and attrition rates, and comp gaps. and any time that we saw a particular person or group of people that was being treated differently, uh, we'd step in and intervene as best we could, right? And so that was slow, as hard as manual. Uh, there had to be a better way. People loved that we did it. So that was the inspiration for Dandy. A handful of us got together and said, let's go create a, an API-first software uh, that does that out of the box and helps DEI professionals become successful, which uh, we didn't realize was quite the case at the time. We just wanted to solve a problem that we were doing manually ourselves.
1: Oh, nice. And so how can organizations better utilize the data analytics side of things to really create success in their DEI initiatives?
0: Yeah. So so one of the questions that we ask all of our customers is, how do you think about success more broadly? Um, and, and I think you get a lot of different answers. And I don't think many organizations have defined what success looks like for the DEI leader. Right. And, and so we asked that question, to say, let's first of all establish a definition and a baseline, right? What are you looking to do? Uh, because we're in the business, ultimately, of helping DI practitioners become successful. And so we view analytics and data just like we would with any other business function, whether it's sales, marketing, it doesn't really matter. Data and analytics are one of the places at which you start, right? So let's first understand what's going on. At the company, a lot of folks like to start with workforce representation. When we look around the company, who do we employ, right? Um, if it we're a different function, if it we're marketing, we try to understand who are our customers and um, how are they finding us, and how are we engaging them, right? Very simple questions. So we first like to start with doing a diagnostic of s- saying, hey, let's get the let's get analytics and data set up so we can understand what's going on at the organization um, and craft some strategies and some point of views that could potentially help you become successful and present information to leadership of the executive team in a way um, that can move the ball forward for the, for the company.
1: So, I mean, I, I like the way you just mentioned in terms of you want to start with the data, work out what's, what's your workforce representation, see where the gaps are. What have you found through the organizations that you've worked for that has been one of the most challenging for them?
0: One of the the hardest spots, I think, uh, is is truly the holistic nature of DEI, Um, because folks look at workforce representation almost always, and and the natural place that you start is, how do we, let's take, right, let's look at gender, right, let's assume binary gender roles for a moment, right? Uh, Let's make the company 50-50, right, just for ease of the example. And that actually, workforce representation is an outcome. Right. And all other parts of the employee life cycle contribute to that workforce representation. We first need to look at hiring and recruiting and then hiring. And, and then from there, we have to take a look at compensation gaps. Right. But what drives compensation gaps is performance and then promotions. Right. And comp gaps. And that produces attrition and retention and sentiment, which leads to attrition. So all of this works together and produces the outcome that is workforce representation. So one of the hardest things to always do is to understand what's really going on in the organization. And if we want to take a look at let's workforce representation as the ultimate outcome, then what are the three, four, five things that we have to do throughout the rest of the employee lifecycle uh, to deliver value and actually start achieving those goals? And I can give you a couple of examples where um, when you take a look at things and you do some root cause analysis, what's actually happening is different than what you might've thought.
1: Yeah, um, and it'd be great to hear. So, as an example, what have you found to be one of the, honestly, surprise—not necessarily surprising, but eye-opening, things to come out of some of the when they start doing these deep dives? What would you say is, can you recall yeah. as one that's been quite eye-opening? Yeah,
0: uh, yeah it's, it's, So I love I love that question because there are a couple of examples that I would say are relatively pervasive and. And so I'll give you an example of one. Let's take the workforce representation example where we're taking a look at a gender, let's assume binary gender roles, or, right? And we want to get to parity. And um, folks will take a look at the employee life cycle, and they'll take a look at attrition and retention, right? It's like, hey, like, we know recruiting and hiring. Let's go take a look at who's leaving the company. And what they're invariably going to take a look at first is, right, let's, let's look at gender more broadly. And... What they'll see a lot of the times, not always, um, but most times, is women will leave the organization more often and and, and with less tenure than men, right? And uh, then they'll do a deep dive in Dandy and they'll take a look at job level, right? And they'll realize, oh goodness, there's a there's a there's a bit of a glass ceiling, and it's not a hard glass ceiling, but it's, it certainly looks to be like there is one. Um, in other words, when women look upward in the organization, they don't see very many other women or fewer than you'd like. Uh, And oftentimes folks stop there, right? And say, okay, great. We need to go focus on retaining women, right? And if we retain more women, that will help us on our workforce representation and as you'd expect it to work, right, et cetera. Um, Whereas that's not enough, right? Um, What we always do is then look at even more intersectionally than that. We always have to take a look at the intersection of gender and ethnicity because nine times out of 10, if women are leaving the company more often than men, right? Almost always, the underrepresented women are leaving way faster than that, and so much so that it's three, four, five, six x. And the glass ceiling that you'll see in those cases is really hard. It's firm, right? And when you do the root cause analysis, and again, Danny makes this available out of the box, so it, it, it di practitioners don't need analysts, right? A lot of times you need yeah. Analysts, I was going to say that
1: that's 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 quite um, something because that we know that intersectionality plays such an important role with DEI because it's not just simply men and women or it's not just simply coming from an underrepresented group there's we are all we're multifaceted people like so that's as right. you said when you start looking at it within another layer and really taking a deeper dive you find something quite right. quite extraordinary and that's great that you could you can actually do that with with the tool that you've developed
0: well, that's you know, and, and I've got a, g- a great story about um one of one of the one of the proud moments that we had uh in, in building that and creating it with Carol Watson. Um, you know, but that's a really good example. And you can go layer and layer and layer further. And and ultimately, it, when you do that root cause analysis and you do the diagnostic that way, right? DEI is about small numbers, it's not about big numbers. What you what you wind up creating is a very different point of view. And so you have a very sophisticated data-driven point of view that you then say, hey, here are the three to five goals for this year that we should focus on. And you can substantiate it with data. And you go to your executive team at that point and you are empowered with information and data in a way that any other business leader would be. And that positions DEI as really central and important. And, and, and that's what, part of what we're in the business of to try to do.
1: I mean, and that goes into to, to my next question is, is getting the buying because that's something that a lot of leaders, um, it's a challenge that a lot of leaders do face is being able to convince the board or the the kind of the key stakeholders to invest mm-hmm. in the work. And so do you find, how do you see that the data analytics is able to do that, is to help with that?
0: Yeah, totally, Natasha. And I think like, hey, full stop, it's the right thing to do. And, and we should acknowledge that. And, and, and of course, right? Um, right thing to do. Uh, secondly, I think, DI, I think, is the most successful when it's able to communicate in the language of the business. And that's tough because arguing, you know, like it's the right thing to do, shouldn't have to necessarily match and fit it in, right? But if we can fit it in a bit and present information in a way that business leaders are used to seeing it, then you can connect attrition and retention of underrepresented women to the bottom line. Then we could say, we're, we're doing hiring and recruiting, and we're spending X, Y, and Z budget at the top of the funnel. And our tenure is worse, and this is what's going on. We've got a huge problem with promotion rates, and then we have attrition and retention. We're spending a lot of money on this on, on, on trying to become, quote-unquote, diverse. And this is the ecosystem in which it's, it's living. And so we can make a business problem out of it now, and we can say, let's go solve it. And I think that's what data analytics does. It does the same thing for marketing. It does the same thing with Salesforce for sales, right? Um, I don't, I, I, and I have to be very careful here because we're talking about people and we're talking about lives and and this is really important work, right? So there's a delicate balance ultimately, but, but they have to work together, I think.
1: Mm. And I'm glad that you touched on that. This is about people. So we've got to be delicate. So it's great that you're able to pull all of the information and, and, present it in a way that's easy to be read and can be picked apart a little bit more and you can go a little bit deeper but what's your perspective in terms of being able to get the data in order to analyze it because we know that we're dealing with people it's a lot of personal information that that needs to be inputted into this to get you the, the answers that you want so so what are your thoughts on being able to pull the data
0: So so I think first, I think there are two answers to that question. One is from a software perspective, right? From a software perspective, we are GDPR compliant, CCPA compliant. Um, We do not collect strictly defined, personally identifiable information, right? No first names, last names, socials, addresses. We don't collect any of that. We do have an API that connects to all the HR systems and does securely pull the information um, and is in a controlled way and follows all the regulations and guidelines, right? That's one. Number 2 the, the other answer which is i think people oriented um we are not on wood, we are very we have been very successful in conducting voluntary self identification campaigns in other words where 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 our customers ask their employees to tell dandy and their company more about themselves And examples might be LGBTQIA plus status veteran status parental status caregiver status whatever it might be or to fill out ethnicity if they haven't yet, right? Or we're introducing a non-binary gender role. Can you please update? And I think the reason that we've been able to do that, and I think the really the heart of your question. So here's the answer: is we find that most people who, who will participate want to be good at this. They want their company to understand who it is, and they want a commitment to DEI, they want to be able to publish the information. They're scared though. And the only way that people, I think, feel better about giving you more is if they get something from you. What I mean by this is if you're going to ask employees and folks to tell you more about themselves, then you do need to make a firm commitment. And You first need to show up with your dandy dashboard or whatever it is that you may use to present the information to them as you have it today. And be open about it and say, you know, goodness gracious, here are the five or 10, 15, 20, 50 reports and graphs. We are going to be tracking this once per quarter. And you have our commitment that we're focused on these two or three areas. We really need your help. Okay. And here's how you can help. And you have our commitment in three months, in the next quarter, we will show you the exact same reports, graphs, etc., cetera. Right. And we'll show you progress over time of how we're tracking on these core KPIs and we're going to make good on this commitment that whether we're, whether we're attaining it, whether, whether we're not attaining it, we're going to tell you what's going on, and we're going to be really honest about it. And when companies do that, Natasha, you would be surprised at how a completion rate, right, getting the data could go from 30% completion to over 90% overnight, especially if you're working with, you know, something like Dandy, where, it, again, the information, the way that we collect and store it is anonymized, right? And so it, 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 is, it is safe. Um, So that I I think from a people perspective, you have to give to get and it's on the company to give first.
1: No, I totally agree. I think it's important because it's it's personal and you want to know that if I'm going to give up all of this information, that it's actually going to be utilized in in a positive way. Um, And so it's great that that you share that. Yeah. No. Fantastic. So you touched on earlier in our conversation um, a proudest moment from from you starting Dandy. (laughs) I'm really interested to hear, what is that proudest moment?
0: You know, I think there there, there, there are a few, right? I mean, a handful where we always look at internally, we look at um, a metric that we call PI, positively impacting employees, right? And we currently, you know, support over 500,000 employees. And so cracking that threshold was really exciting for us. Um, examples include where we've worked with companies and reduced uh, a wage gap from 10% to two, down to 2% in three or four months, right? And so all of that's really exciting. Um, But I'll tell you more of an entrepreneurial story, um, a a super proud moment. Uh, We, at the very early days of starting Dandy, Elise James DeCruz, our co-founder, and I were meeting with a lot of DEI practitioners to get feedback. And Elise had reached out to Carol Watson. And Carol steeped in tradition uh, in DEI. We were very fortunate. To get her to take a meeting with us, and we uh, we were headed to the meeting, and Elise and I were walking there here in New York City, and I was just you know cheesing it up. I was so excited. We got to meet Carol, and we we're gonna show her the software, and you know I was like she's gonna love it. And uh, you know Elise said, well we're we're gonna find out, right? We're gonna we're gonna find out. So we met with Carol, and Carol looked at it and she says, okay, and that's it. I said, well what what do you mean that's it, right? Like it's pretty great, huh? And she says, well, what are you going to do if you need to take a look at at black women? And what are you going to do when you need to take a look at black women in job level five in the New York City office and compare the comp gap for those women to 500 other groups at the company? Because that's what I want. That's how I want to do my job. And I looked at her and I said, I don't have a good answer for you. You're totally right. That's the right way to do it. She says, yeah, Jeff, it's called intersectionality. You build that, you come back to me, maybe I'll help you out. I said, sure thing. <laughs> and so I went back, we were working out of, out of our apartments this time, and it was fun. You know, I went back and I spoke to Mom Al-Ramadan, our co-founder and CTO, and, and Sragm Mgekar, co-founder of VP Engineering, and I said, well, this is what Carol said. And they were like, well, what'd you tell her? I said, well, I told her we'll, we'll do it. And they were like, oh, come on, wait, but on what, on what time frame? Like, no way, like, come on. And I said, I don't think it's a rush. Right, I think, I think what's most important is from what I can tell, from what we can tell, nobody's built this and made intersectionality really deep off the shelf analytics, where you don't need an analyst for DI practitioners. And I said, what matters is that we get it right. And so that was a really proud moment because A, I think we got the feedback that we needed. Carol was super, super helpful, right? B, we were able to translate and, and, and focus on building a really powerful solution. As a co-founding team, I was really proud of us. Because that was a moment where we could have said, hey, um, you know, no, no no, thanks. Instead, we totally leaned in. And yeah. we said, let's go build a solution that, that experienced the eye professional's need.
1: Also, I think it just goes to, to, to you as a leader, is that you're actually taking on board feedback that you've received and are actually acknowledging that, okay, we have a gap here. There's more for us to do let's let's do it let's not rush it and you're taking the opinion of of the your team around you as well and kind of getting their input which is so important and, it, and it's it doesn't happen very often I'm going to be honest like and it's great to see that you did that and it's it's positive the outcome is positive which it is always going to be positive do you know what I mean like if, if you actually really listen and take on board some people's feedback um it and it, it will breed results
0: I think I think that's almost always right. And I've been doing this long enough, Natasha, where there are periods in my career where, you know, I think I listened more than I spoke and, and periods where I didn't. And I think the periods in my career where I did it were the periods where I got it wrong. Right. And, and so I'm sure I still don't do that every day today at this stage of my career. But, but that's
1: certainly front and center. Oh, fantastic. Well, I've so much enjoyed our chat, Jeff. Um, before you do leave Likewise. us, uh, given your experience in working in DEI and just being a, a first-class leader, um, what advice would you give to, to others that are out there that are also trying to make a real change in their organisations?
0: I, I think the most important thing is to first understand the nature of the organisation. Right? And What does the company really care about? And how can, if you want to make a change, especially with DEI, try to establish a baseline. Think about this as the problem. And you, of course, we care about the people. You have to. That's central. But think about it as the problem that we need to solve. And go look at the baselines and pick three areas that you think and want to improve. And track them really well and build support around progress right and connect it to the kpis of the business look at employee retention tie that to the top of the funnel with recruiting make it a business problem and what will naturally happen is and you'll have this balance of it's the right thing to do and we need to do the work because we need to do the work as it matters in the world while you're also balancing this is why it matters and why we should continue not only to get some resources against some budget, but to get more and more and more. Um, and that's the delicate balance. Um, and we're, we're, we, we try to help our customers with that because uh, it's easier said than done.
1: Right. Oh, Thank you so much again, Jeff, for, for joining me today. I really enjoyed our conversation. For anyone that is listening out Likewise. there that wants to connect with you and wants to learn a little bit more about Dandy, how can they do that?
0: Uh, please visit our website right it's a, a Uh that's itsitsdandy d-a-n-d-i.com uh, you can reach out to us contact us for them. you can also just email me jeff at itsdandy.com anytime
1: oh fantastic well once again jeff really enjoyed this conversation and i look forward to all the great things that dandy's got in the pipeline
0: likewise pleasure thanks for having me appreciate it